Hello and welcome to episode 39 of Just Keep Writing. A podcast for writers, by writers, to keep you writing. I'm Marshall. I'm Nick. And I'm Will. How's it going, guys? Going good. <laughs> Not gonna lie. I mean... Still great. Two beers in. Yeah, no, I mean, we've... And look, this is a little behind the scenes, but... We're here to introduce an interview that we had this week with uh, Mr. Maurice Broadus. But before we get to that, we're going to do our normal things. But um, it's been it's been fun, man. We've been having a good time chatting with Maurice. And um, we'll kind of talk about what we've been up to the last uh, since last we recorded. And then we'll get into that. So what do we want to do first? Housekeeping stuff? Housekeeping. Housekeeping. All right. So we're not going anywhere, right? <laughs> that's the Ooh. one thing. We're not going to any conferences. That's for sure. Pandemic um, 2020. Right. But the other, um, something that is coming up is um, a WXR meetup social thing. Hey, but, we're going to Surrey. Yeah, but that's that's what I'm getting to. We're kind of oh, going okay. to Surrey oh, and okay. WXR at the same time, right? <laughs> so the way it's working this year, obviously, is um, we kind of talked about this last time. WXR uh, Writing Excuses Retreat is teaming up with uh, Surrey. Essentially, uh, it's all going to be a virtual convention. So uh, for WXR alumni and folks that were signed up for this year's cruise, there's going to be a an event on the 11th uh, of July, which is going to be really cool. I'm actually helping to plan that. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Honestly, we don't have a lot of details yet, but it's going to be fun. Yeah, I haven't gotten anything other than uh, what Marshall has said myself. So I look forward to it. Well, yeah. And Will will be there because he told me he would. Oh, okay. I didn't know I was going, but I'm going. Oh, you're, oh, you're going. going, dude. You're going. Oh, Trust me. Okay. I, already, I already told Mary Robinette when we had a meeting a couple of days ago. I said, so people like Will who didn't sign up for, and I was actually talking about a friend, like in, like a friend of mine who wanted to sign up, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wait a minute. You know my friend. It's Will. And he's all, she's all, oh, yeah, well, he can come. So you're good. Oh, amazing. <laughs> amazing. That's awesome. No, I'm excited. You're, you're, you're an alumni, I think, in their eyes, even though you have never been on a cruise. They know me. It's because of Futurescape. And we got to hang out with Mary Robinette in Utah in February, too. So that was fun. Yeah, that was that fun. Was exciting. You know, February seems like literally a year ago because right. we haven't been anywhere else. Because we would have been like two more weeks away from Comic-Con. Yeah, we would have been, been to MoCon. Yeah. <laughs> We would have been seriously prepping for San Diego right now. Like I would be in full on Comic Con mode right now if it was happening. And it's yeah, like, we'd so. be planning our writing retreat in September right. too, and what we're gonna do. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So a lot of things have moved around, but um, anyway, here we are. So I, I would actually, I'm gonna throw it over to Will and Nick. You guys have been doing a really good job of setting up um, interviews with writers. Let's talk a little bit about our social media and what we've been doing and encouraging our listeners who are loyal listeners to go out and tell their friends, their writing buddies and, and communities to um, to tune in because we got some fun stuff coming up. So what do we got for them? Well, um, Instagram, Just Keep Writing Podcasts, we're doing a book of the day. Um, so every day, um, I'll be posting a book that one of us have read or all of us have read. For the most of the end of June, we did a lot of LGBTQ authors. Um, it's always going to be a super inclusive, diverse group of books that one of us have read. Sometimes it'll be all of us who've read it because we <laughs> overlap. 
And then um, for, to get the word out, uh, reviews, iTunes reviews, you know, it really helps. Five stars, of course, because you love us. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's really sharing it as much as possible. Nick, what do you have? What did I miss? Scheduled interviews coming up. We got Maurice Braddock on um, this episode that you guys are going to listen to. We are actually going to be discussing um, with Mary Robinette and her upcoming book that's coming out. Relentless Moon. July 21st. See? Um, and that's through tour. Um, so we're, we've got an interview coming up with her just right about the week before the release of the book. Uh, we'll, we'll put that out there. Um, so if you guys haven't already, and if it's available for pre-order, you can find that in our show notes. But go ahead and pre-order that because, you know, you love Mary Robinette as much as we do. Um, but yeah, we also got Stewie Davies that's going to be coming up uh, in August. Um, and Stewie's actually one of our WXR alumni, one of our, our favorite authors. Uh, David Mogo, God Hunter is his most recent book, and he just had a three book deal. Um, and remind me of the publisher on that one, Will. Do you know I'm, who the publisher is? I'm pretty sure it's Orbit. Yeah. So Suey's doing great yeah, yeah. Suey's doing great things, um, and to top it all off, Suey's in an MFA program at the University of Arizona, and is also teaching English there at the same time. Um, so he's pretty busy. Um, so you know, Suey, shout out and thank you for you know letting us schedule something with you and getting us fit into your busy schedule. And 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 we do have we do have plans for others, of course. Um, do we do we have any others to announce? Sorry, I cut you off. I think. It's okay. Fran Wild in September. Awesome. With her. And then we have a couple other people that we just have to, all three of us have to talk about real quick. Um, <laughs> we have a lot of people coming on. No, and, that, and that's exciting. And if you like, and if you like our interviews, um, please let us know, jump in the discord, let us know what you get out of them, what you want us to ask authors that we've mentioned ahead of time that we're going to be talking to. Um, if you have questions, throw them in the discord. Um, and, and definitely, uh, keep chatting with us because we're, we're having a lot of fun and we want to keep growing. So thank you ahead of time for liking us and telling your friends and, you know, five-star ratings and, and all that. Right. Yeah. You know, so guys, if there's nothing else, should we talk about what we talked about with Maurice real quick? Cause that was fun. <laughs> yeah, sure. So Maurice brought us, this is not his first time on the show. Um, we, we brought him on, he was on episode three, so you can definitely check that out. Um, and I don't think we had much overlap in stories. Maurice is full of stories. So um, he's a blast to hang out with, uh, and we have a lot of updates on his work. And what else did we talk about? We were talking about The Usual Suspects, and mm -hmm. his, that's his middle grade novel. We talked about that for quite a bit. So there might be some minor spoilers, and I'm going to tell you that ahead of time. So if you haven't read that book, you may there's, – there's not a whole lot of spoilers, but you know, just a little bit here and there. We don't solve the mystery for y'all, okay? We don't tell you exactly <laughs> – happens but i would encourage you to go read it it's so fun and it's such a good middle grade book and if you want to if you want to read something or listen to it on audio that really captures that age group's voice um because it both feels timeless but yet really fresh um you have to you have to read and listen maurice is a very talented writer uh and as we discussed with them in the episode he's written across i feel like every genre <laughs> And the most recent genre is yeah. just middle grade. And he shares a lot of his, you know, personal mm -hmm. stories, how he got, excuse me, how he got going, mm -hmm. some of the hurdles that he's come up against. Um, 
and yeah, man, it's, it's, it's a really fun interview. Uh, definitely don't tune that part out because <laughs> we're going to stop talking here in a second. <laughs> yeah. So anything else you want to say before we get into the interview boys? I think that's it for me, Nick. I got nothing right now. Oh, no, I, we have a couple books that we can do giveaways with again. Oh. Um, Barbara's Barbara Lund's got a book that we can give away and then we still have vultures from Luke. Totally. So let's, yeah. let's, let's do an announcement about that on next episode. Now, do you, do we want to make it like a writing contest geared thing or like, Hey, we're going to nope, pull someone who social media. We'll make it a social media driven uh, campaign. That's, that's better. Less reading. Yeah. Did you, did you so, see how fast he jumped at the camera on that? Yeah, no, I like it. I like his internet. Yeah. So <laughs> We're going to do a social media campaign where when you uh, follow us on Instagram and you tag four people and they follow us, then you're in the contest to win it with your friends. So uh, all of you will be entered. We'll go over as well. Yeah. So should we, we'll do the official rules next episode. So be thinking about this people. I also have a second signed copy of Pit My Airship too. Ooh, that's right. All right. Yeah. We end up with four of those. Okay. This That's is the right. Only we did one. end up with double. The only one I, I don't have signed. I, I need to get that one. I don't have that oh, one. Oh, dude. The Voices I, of Martyrs, everyone. I, yeah, only got that be, I only got that because of the cover. I fell in love with the, the cover. cover. Yeah. And, and that's what really sold me. Obviously, I love Maurice, right? But the cover was the one thing where I was like, I have to have it on my shelf. Like, yep, so, I'm that person. I'll, and also next week, I think, um, or next episode, we'll kind of do a recap on on our writing and where we're at, because I think it'll be time. Yeah, it will, because sure. uh, Marshall, you know, I have a flash fiction to write. And I'll be giving next week. Do you have time tomorrow? <laughs> what? Tomorrow, tomorrow, I'm going to write everything up. Okay, mm-hmm. I I still owe you an ending, but life oh i know you owe me a lot more after this <laughs> i owe you a complete book after this and maybe a couple I love beers it. i love it all right gents uh so let's <laughs> let's um move over to the interview and uh we'll see you guys all uh next time so and joining us this week is maurice Bradis, uh who we've had you on the show before um and so welcome back my friend how you been been good been good surviving you know do my thing the world's a bit crazy right now, huh? Yeah, but I have uh, achieved a new a new quiet space in all of the chaos that uh, we are really digging a whole lot. Well, okay, I shouldn't say we, but I am digging a whole lot. So basically, all right, so we've moved. So Nick, you haven't even seen our new place, but uh, you would pictures. have. If, right, but and you <laughs> would have, all of you would have seen it if we'd been able to do MoCon. I know, and Will was supposed to go too. We yeah, were all right, supposed to meet up. We all could have been, you know, we would have been together in this space. Um, and then you could have seen it for yourself, but, uh, so I have a front porch, right. And I've dubbed the front porch, my coffee shop. Um, and oh. because I, yeah. And so I basically call my neighbors, my regulars, you know, cause they'll pass by and they, you know, we're starting to get familiar and then starting to recognize each other on a regular basis. Um, and then I noticed in the last two weeks, cause my mother now lives with us also. And, okay. uh, and so my, my porch has been violated. So, only half of the porch is the coffee shop. The other half of the porch is my mother's veranda. Uh, okay. <laughs> never, the, never the two shall meet. And so, uh, and over the last couple of weeks, so I posted about this once on Twitter about how I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in my coffee shop. Well, 
So what's happened is different artists in the community has started to just drop by the coffee shop. And no way. Oh man, it's been man, it is dope as hell. I ain't gonna lie. And so <laughs> Uh, like today, uh, I had a couple artists come by, uh, 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 a couple, you know, like high level poets who like, hey, can we just stop by and hang? And I'm like, absolutely, you can. Um, and that's the way it's been almost solid for like the last couple of weeks. It's like I'll get my work done or it'll be interrupted by artists dropping in and just hanging for a while. So it's a, it's like my little oasis within the chaos. This is a long introduction, by the way. Good, hey, Hello, everybody. Glad to be back. No, no. How's that? Like I said, man, <laughs> we're just glad to have you back on the show. And uh, your coffee shop sounds phenomenal. Uh, we wish we could be there. <laughs> man, you, well, man, that's all I can say, man. Sooner rather than later, hopefully, when the world writes itself, right. we'll, we'll get together again, right? I look forward to it. <laughs> uh, all right, Will, do you want to jump in? Oh, yeah, I'll totally jump in. So, Maurice, I wanted to describe your writing career in three words. Me describe my writing career in three words. Yep. Angry, perseverance, miraculous. Okay. Can we unpack those descriptions? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so let's see. What I say? Angry? Angry? Angry. Yeah. Perseverance. So, um, well, we'll start with angry. So angry is how... So. So I've been in the, I've realized I've been in the game. This is my 21st year in the game, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I've been in it a minute, but the first, the first 10 years of my soul, my career, you know, up until the Knights of Green Court series sold, and I, I was basically known as a horror writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it took me looking back on, on all that to realize, you know, a lot of my horror career was just me venting my anger in a lot of ways. I mean, my stories were. I mean, there were horror stories, but they were horror stories built from my anger uh, as I was trying to parse through what it means to be a, a black man in America. And, mm-hmm. uh, and and a lot of rage accompanied that, uh, that, that journey. So I, um, so yes, yeah, so I described a lot of my horror career as, uh, as me just being angry and, and, yeah. and figuring out what to do with that anger. Okay. And um, <clears throat> perseverance. Perseverance. So I re- uh, so the next realization I had was, uh, you know, a lot of the folks I came up with uh, and started off with, uh, I think the only thing that separated us, uh, me from them, or from from a lot of them, is the fact that uh, you know, I just stuck it out. <laughs> it's not mm-hmm. like not like I'm you know hugely uh, this hugely talented writer. It's like uh, I just kind of stuck around and kept doing it. Uh, stayed in the game kind of thing. No, that's it exactly though. Cause I mean, you know, yeah. I've, if I've been in it for 20 years, at some point you hope if you're continuing to improve with each story, you write at some point you hope you start to figure it out. Right. Uh, and so, uh, so I, so when I talk about perseverance, I'm talking about, yes, I stuck to my writing. I stuck to, uh, pursuing, uh, publishing. I, I stuck through all the madness that is the publishing world. And just that sheer perseverance, after a while, you know, I started to get some traction, started to get some sales under me on a more regular basis, um, started to gain some confidence, started to figure out what the market was like, really, to, to be honest, because that's also part of it, just figuring out, you know, what, where the market is and, and that sort of thing and, and where the best places are to, to, you know, I create this thing, but now where's the best home for it? Um, rather than just start doing the scattershot, ah, I'll just go down my usual list. It's like, you know what? I now know the list a lot better and I know these markets a lot better. So let me actually just do some more specialized, you know, here, you know what market? I know that this would be a great fit for you. So let me get this story to you. 
Um, and then that cuts down that whole, you know, my, my rejection cycle, you know, cut down a whole lot more after I started, you know, uh, figuring things out like that. So. And miraculous. Yeah, I can't. I don't even know what my life is like these days. I'm I'm looking at because uh, you know it wasn't even that long ago. Look, you laugh. Look here, you laugh. But it wasn't that long ago. It wasn't to be straight. It wasn't that long ago where I was like having conversations with my buddies talking about man, if I only I could get an editor to make direct eye contact with me, you know, yeah. it wasn't that long ago. Those memories are still quite fresh, and uh, and so the fact that I'm working on some of the projects I'm working on, I'm just like or having some of the conversations about my career. Uh, I'm like, seriously, You're, are you sure you have the right Maurice Broadus as you guys are talking about? So <laughs> I, I can't make heads or tails of it. I'm just like, I'm just long for the ride at this point. I guess like, this is a perfect segue too, because I feel like Western culture fetishizes um, young hit authors who do really well, but then they fizzle out. Like you've had a really long and interesting career. So can you talk about that? Like, perseverance because i feel like now people i mean i've read almost all of your work i'll be honest hang on for a second you guys yeah. do realize will is not my favorite person right I mean, yeah. no we knew that we knew that would happen okay. which is why he's a permanent member of the show now my favorite person all right go ahead will. yeah Sorry. He's, he's an amazing person that's why we, we keep him around <laughs> but no like i've read your work a lot because i've really loved um horror like that's what really got me interested in reading was horror. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting because as I grew up, I started finding a lot of people who are marginalized in any aspect of society. For me, it was being gay. Mm -hmm. um, somehow I related so much to horror um, first. And that was like my gateway into what I wanted to read where it was fantasy and science fiction. So it extrapolated. But mm -hmm. Back to the thing, if you've been in a, doing this for 21 years, and I feel like like now people are just realizing, like, I hear your name mentioned so much. So what would you say to writers who, like, are in their 30s or 40s who are still trying to get into it? Like, what would your um, words of wisdom really be? Yeah, because some of us are in our 40s, Maurice, and we... we we, you know, we're, we're doing the thing, but we're, we're no Maurice yet. You know? Right. Well, I mean, look here. Young and hip is not th – those aren't words that belong in the same sentence as Maurice Brown anymore. I can <laughs> let me assure you. Uh, you know, one of the things I tell them is like, hey, my first – well, A, my first novel published was my fifth novel written. So that's mm -hmm. thing number one. Thing number mm -hmm. two, my first novel came out when I was 40. Okay. So uh, a lot of the a lot of the stuff that I've seen in my career has really been in the last ten years, and the first ten years of my career is a lot of I don't know, start a lot of just figuring it out. Um, and you know what? And, and speaking of fetishizing, I think another thing that gets fetishizing is the whole idea of like we get afraid to fail at stuff. And let me tell you, I I am not as most of my career will attest to. I fail at a lot of things. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll try something in a heartbeat just to, just to see if I can do it. And if I can't, it's like, well, at least I try. Look, The Usual Suspects is another is a perfect example of that. I had no business writing a middle grade novel. Uh, but I was like, hey, why not? I mean, the stuff I've ended up doing, and, and this is the kind of thing that frustrates my agent, to be honest with you, because she knows full well. Uh, like, uh, when, when, when she brings me a project, 
She'll bring me the pot project and then has to like, all right, now that we, now that I've sold you on the project, I'm going to remove you from the conversation because the whole money part of it, you suck at that negotiation because you'll do this project just for the sheer challenge of doing the project. You know, there's, yeah. you know, heck, my, uh, when I was, uh, when I was working on a, that video game, Watch Dogs 2, man, mm-hmm. I'd have done that project for a good ham sandwich. Right? <laughs> I'd never done anything like that before. And I was just like, man, this, this has got to be, the, you know, the experience of this alone is going to be incredible. Right. So, yeah, I would have been in it for that. And that's why I surround myself with people who have business sense, which, by the way, is a bit of advice is surround yourself with good people because, yeah, you kind of need it. Sure. Do you um now, did I answer your question? You have to let me know yeah, if I you did. <laughs> No, you did. Uh I I don't know. Like I said, we've we've had these conversations before a little bit, Maurice. And I just I, I love hearing you say that it gives us a little bit of um uh hope's not the right word, but I mean, but hope is the right word. It's like, you know, we're still, you know, Will and I are about the same age. We're a little older than Nick, but we're all we're all doing this thing and you know, the business is crazy and everything's changing, but we just wanna well, we want to know that we can still do it eventually, maybe. Hey, you know what? As far as I'm concerned, the biggest hope statement is the fact that, hey, you know what? I did it. <laughs> right? <laughs> the door is open for everybody. <laughs> I am more than happy to follow your career path. Just right? This is where I want to actually segue into, like, your career. You bet began writing horror. And you did this steampunk fantasy. Um, and you've written some science fiction. Um and then you wrote this really amazing middle grade novel. Was that a really hard jump to do or did it come more natural and did it surprise you? Yes. <laughs> oh, I suppose you want more than that. Yes. Yeah, uh, possible. Unpack that for a minute. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I do know you have a source of inspiration. Yeah. That is uh, and, a loving and, family member. Uh, and frankly, I'm some, you know what? Here's the thing. Y'all are lucky right now that they are all playing video games at the moment because uh, we're, we're recording <laughs> this podcast during their uh, uh, their designated siege time. So uh, they're off playing siege at the moment, either siege or 2K. I can never keep track of which game they're playing. Otherwise, okay. at some point during this interview, a shirtless teenager would come bounding in here for no apparent reason and just hung out. Uh, <laughs> known full well I'm recording, but they're like, is it anyone important? They don't look important. <laughs> I'm just hanging out. I'm like, okay. Uh, so I've spared you all from that. Um, all good. <laughs> and so, so with usual suspects, I, I had done, uh, I, I had sort of like a, a watershed moment in my life. And so I'm, I, I, I'd done a career pivot. And now I find myself in a spot where I can uh, shadow these two lovely boys of mine through school. And, uh, and so I, I uh, was shadowing them as a substitute teacher. Um, and, uh, during, when they were in public school, you know, I, I became a sub in their, in their school. So I could keep an eye on them and just sort of be, uh, support for them. And frankly, to back up the teachers, because I know my boys can get up to semantics. I mean, I, I just know. This. And so, uh, you know, I was doing that. And then one of the classes, uh, was called the special ed room. And that's where they had a lot of their quote unquote troubled students or their more high maintenance. Or I don't know what, what language they were using for their, for these students, but I, I absolutely love these students. I mean, it was mostly black students, high energy, wicked smart. Uh, yet they were consigned to this, uh, uh, they, they were consigned to this special ed room and I could never figure out why they were in the special ed room. So I drew a lot of my inspiration from from my experiences then, and then who knew I was actually going to get into a, an actual teaching career, which is what happened next. 
Um, mm-hmm. Again, tied to the antics of my of, of my children. I love them. <laughs> they, they can they can do some things. They can come up with some things. And but that, that but that became the theme of Usual Suspects because Lord knows my children are often the usual suspects. My youngest especially. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the the fact of the matter is is you you have these 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 uh, young black males who are highly intelligent, high energy, and bored. A lot of the times, yeah, yeah. and uh, the worst thing—the worst thing—is is to have a bored middle schooler. Because a bored right. middle schooler, heck, a bored student. Period. Look here, stu- when my kids complain about being bored, I will like, hey, you're bored. You know, go play a video game. You know why? Video games. I know where you are. Lord knows, I can hear you and your friends, yep. mm-hmm. uh, and I know what you're up to. If you're bored and you don't have that outlet. They will find ways to amuse themselves. Boredom is never actually that. The, boredom's never a thing. You, can't, you ain't gonna die from boredom. It's that right. you die from amusing yourself from boredom. <laughs> and so that's why I'm just like, oh man. So the stuff my kids would do, or the stuff these kids would do to amuse themselves. Well, I also realize I think in my heart I'm also just an eternal twelve year old because uh-huh. their antics always amused me I'm, i i just don't get mad i just like oh in fact i i think the only time i actually do get mad is when they don't try i'm like like look right look you didn't even you know they can do it right you could do better <laughs> you didn't even take the the you didn't even take the extra two minutes it would take them to cover your tracks a little bit come on right. now i expect yeah. better out of y'all uh well i taught i taught middle school for a year and i've been at the high school over a decade now and mm-hmm. i as soon as a kid is bored that's when they act out that's when they you know and there's all the designations and different classes and stuff like that, man. But, um, but reading, reading this book, I just, there's, I, and knowing you, like I see, I was going to, there's a question I'm going to ask. I think Will's going to get there at some point, but I see you in that, in that, in a certain character. Yeah. Go ahead. (laughs) Go ahead. Will. So I guess, first of all, can you pitch the usual suspects to everyone who's listening? Like what is the usual suspect about? So the usual suspects, uh, well, the short pitch is, uh, when uh, we have uh, two uh, rambunctious uh, preteens, uh, Thelonious and Nehemiah, and uh, well-known, we'll just say pranksters within the school. And whenever something goes wrong in the school, they just round up the usual suspects, which is Thelonious, Nehemiah, and their uh, cast of friends. And I wonder, one of the main threats I had for writing it was I wanted to, at the time, my boys were that age, and I wanted to see if I could write something that would amuse them. So, uh, so I was basically trying to write like Walter Mosley for uh, for the middle school set because crime fiction is one of the things. I, oh yeah, getting bound to getting around to actually answering your question at some point. Uh, <laughs> uh, crime fiction is one of the things I love. I love crime fiction. Um, mm-hmm. It's what it's one of the things I read during my downtimes. Uh, well, not that I have much these days, but that was my go to reading. Uh, and when you read the Knights of Breton Court, I mean the Knights of Breton Court is basically a, a trilogy love letter to George Pelicanos. Because uh, he's mm-hmm. one of my favorite crime writers, and so uh, and Walter Mosley is one of my favorite crime writers. So uh, writing Walter Mosley for kids was just like, hey, I wonder if uh, this would fly. And uh, I and but I wrote the book back in 2012, you know, uh, and didn't think twice about it. And then uh, when I got my with my agent and I, I told her about it, she was like, "Wait, you wrote what? Oh yeah, <laughs> we're, we're going with this. We're going with this." It's like, okay, that's amazing. So all the characters I really felt like had these really distinct personalities, Mm -hmm. you know, I feel like what the usual suspects did is it was really timeless in a lot of ways, but also really fresh, you Mm -hmm. know, 
just like a breath of fresh air, but you still, I feel like you identify with that the way it was written. Like you really got into the mind of the characters of being that age. So what was that like for you? Was it something like um, that came natural to you just because your boys were so young or did you have to kind of work in building that type of um, characters? Um, let's see. Well, it, it helped that the boys were, were about that age at the time because uh, they have, uh, uh, they become a, my ground zero for research, you know, mm-hmm. uh, between them and then now working at a middle school. Uh, cause I was, by the, by the time I was doing the revisions and all that, I'm, I'm now firmly working at the middle school. So I, I am surrounded by nonstop examples of, of this world, but yeah, they've, oh man. So for example, cause I haven't written this actual sequel to usual suspects yet, although technically it is actually written. Uh, and hopefully my publishers don't actually hear that cause I'm going to pretend that I'm a, a genius <laughs> when it comes to uh, writing it. Like, Oh, you want another book? Oh, <laughs> Oh, let me agonize. Over. No. So, uh, <laughs> because, because in in my son's eighth grade year, my youngest son's eighth grade year, and I'm not going to—I'm not going to go into the story. I'm not going to go into the story. I'll, t- I'll tell you that right now. Uh, but I will say this: in the middle of the police investigation, as we're sitting across from the detectives questioning us, my son literally leans over to me and goes, "Hey, I bet I gave you an idea for the sequel." <laughs> That's hilarious. And I'm like, that's awesome. Really that's gonna awesome. do this now? Because yeah. I didn't need that's your help. Didn't need your help. <laughs> but oh yeah, this is gonna be the sequel. Oh, 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 this is so gonna be the sequel. Once we get out of all this, this is so gonna be the sequel for the for if we if I read if I write book two, this will so be the sequel. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> when you read the usual suspects, um, uh-huh. know that Nehemiah, the character of Nehemiah, he is influenced a lot by my youngest son, the shirtless one who just popped in here. Okay. Um, and then the oh, uh, my older son, a lot of people would automatically default to Thelonious, and there is some threads of, of Thelonious in uh, that from I take from my older son. But my older son actually served the inspiration for their rival, Marcellus or Marcel, I should say. I okay. Uh, so, oh, that's that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. So uh, my older son's like, "Wait, you made me the the, the, the black girl," and I'm like, "Yeah." Yeah. And then he's, <laughs> then he's like, "Hey, cool." And I'm like, right? So I want to talk about Thelonious and Nehemiah's relationship because I really Mm -hmm. felt like this is something in in books, in middle grade books, that you don't see enough. Like they have a really special bond. You know, like they show love. You know, there was this one um, sentence that I wrote down that um, they they you know Thelonious said like. You know, we don't have to talk, but we know what is being said. It was something to that effect. Like, they don't need to talk, and they know that everything's said. And I was like, that reminds me so much of the way me and one of my best friends that I grew up with, it reminds me of my nephews, mm-hmm. brothers, and interacting. They just, you could have so much fun and not say anything. So did you base that on your sons, or was it more of, like, relationships that you've had? Um, a bit of both. So that's, I, I mean, so my son's age difference, because they're 14 months apart. Mm-hmm. It's also the same age difference as me and my brother, because we're 14 months apart. Mm-hmm. And very similar personalities. Uh, my oldest son tends to take after me. My youngest son tends to take after my brother. Um, so you, I see this dynamic just keep playing out and keep playing out. 
And uh, and then when I see, when I, even when I'm in school, I see uh, kids who just every year it's like I have oh you're this year's Thelonious and you're this year's Nehemiah, <laughs> um, and just watching these sort of interactions just naturally just sort of continue to play out. But I think one I think in fact I think that line in particular I was watching my boys with my nephews because um, mm-hmm. uh, my sister has uh, three boys. But when they get with uh, my boys, all five of them, we call them Voltron. Well, I call them Voltron. <laughs> you get the five of them together, and they literally are just the same person. Uh, yeah. they, they get together, and they don't have to say anything. They can just sit and just be with each other, and it's a beautiful thing. Um, I mean, when when they start talking, it usually goes horribly awry. I did at one point. I They were having a slumber party. And uh, uh, oh, oh! Speaking of writing lesson, so uh, here, look, I'll do some applied uh, writing advice uh, on the spot. Okay. Perfect. And so uh, I was like, "Hey, uh, I'm, I'm working on this middle grade book. You know, you guys are having a slumber party. Is it all right if I leave my recorder in here to just capture some of you guys' conversation, so I can, you know, hear the rhythms of, of how you speak, and so I can see if I can capture it and emulate it, that sort of thing?" And they're like, "Oh yeah, sure, Uncle Maurice, blah 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 blah." And I and I'm like, "Yeah." Just to be straight, anything you guys say on here, you won't get in trouble for. And they're like, <laughs> that's what we needed to hear. So like, okay. Um, so uh, so in the first half hour, my sons used the opportunity to confess to a whole bunch of stuff uh, since they knew they couldn't be prosecuted. Uh, oh, I so, love so it. That was great. <laughs> um, so then once we got past that, you know, about an hour or so in, I'm just like, man, middle school boys talk about some dumb stuff. I mean, like literally, they went on a forty-five hour, a forty-five minute philosophical discussion on the nature of their farts, and I'm like, this, "Oh my god, <laughs> this will not be in the book, yes, or any book, as far as I'm concerned, right?" Uh, but it's like, uh, middle school boys left to their devices. This is the deep sort of stuff that they will will talk about. So yeah, so but that's that's the sort of thing, you know. But then capturing their joy of being with each other. Oh yeah, that's a that's a whole yeah that's a whole thing. If if I can do if I can capture their joy and their exuberance of just being boys, I, I figure I've done my job. Yeah, I totally feel like you did in the usual suspects. Yeah. it totally comes through. I mean, there are moments where um, Thelonious is you know transitioning from one mo- you know one space to another, and then it, his whole it's almost like he relaxes and he's more himself when he's around um, his buddy, and, and it's just really. It, it's subtle, but it's it's you did it so well, man. Yeah, it's it's really well done. Thank you. So Marcel, I'm glad you touched upon her because I feel like she is actually the villain of the story. <laughs> she is like the the mastermind of everything. <laughs> and and she's not. I love Marcel so much because Marcel, in a lot of ways, reminded me about how I was in school too. Which is because look, the the it's never. As in my teaching experience, it's not the loud, braying kid <laughs> who I got to worry about because I know where they are. It's like, oh, someone's making noise. I know exactly where you are at all times. My eye is on you. It's the quiet, smart ones I worry about because I was a quiet, smart one. And the quiet, smart ones are like, hey, you know what? Because what do teachers do with the quiet, smart ones? They trust them with a bunch of stuff. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? So like me in high school, I was me and my friends were trusted with a lot of stuff. Things like we would do the the busy work of teachers, like recording the absentee records. Uh <laughs> right? So I'm like, so let me get this straight. You're trusting 
high school students with reporting the attendance of their friends. Yeah, I would yeah. never do that. This oh my god! Became, this became a service I offered at some point. Do you want to <laughs> be in? You know, I, for a low fee, you were in, you were in class all the time. You were there every day. Every day. I'm just like, uh, because I was quiet and smart and yep. the teachers didn't look twice at me. So I absolutely adore Marcel uh, <laughs> because she is straight up gangster and she's not yeah. anyone's idea of gangster, but like she runs that. She is one of the people who runs that school. Uh, and so I absolutely love her. So I never looked at her as the villain. I looked at her as like, you know what? I have complete agency. I'm a, this school. I figured out the system and I'm just going to use the system to my advantage. And I'm not I mean, one bit mad at her. I'm not one bit mad at her. <laughs> well, I think she's so likable because she's so capable. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Man, I man. No, I do I do I love that character so much. And and yeah, I do I modeled after my son. And because here's I gave uh I gave uh I gave a keynote speech at a library conference uh last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, I ended up talking about my sons. And one of the things I said is like, look. I know what I've raised. I know what I've raised. My oldest son, he figures out your systems. He, he, he sits there, he studies them, he'll figure out your system so that he can bend that system to his advantage. Mm-hmm. That's Marcel. My youngest yep. son does not give a crap about your system. He's going to stomp through life on his terms at all times. Mm-hmm. That's Nehemiah. That's my youngest son. And I don't want to change anything about how they operate. Because yeah. I think I think both of those ways are absolutely glorious. It's like, hey, you know what? If the system is broken, why stick to it? It's <laughs> going to keep producing the same product over and over because that's what the system is designed to do. So you either bend the system to your advantage or you ignore the system entirely. I'm good either way. It's just that I also know that it's going to involve me in a lot of parent-teacher conferences later on. So, <laughs> so there has been that. Well, well, on that note, as far as, I mean, you've talked a lot about your son's influencing characters. Uh, I see there's one character in particular, I think, that I'm going to go ahead and say, because I know you, uh, is a little bit like you. Um, but did you, and, and as a teacher myself, I mean, there are it's pretty easy to put yourself in those positions, right. but as far as writing a character that is in charge of children, right. um, but is, is Mr. Blackman really just kind of a version of you in this, in this world? So yes, yes, he is. And uh, uh, to, to the point where like after my students, my current crop of students, when they started reading the book, they were like, wait a second, you literally dress like this dude. And I'm like, it was, right. I was just going to say, there's a moment where you talk about his outfit and I'm like, oh, yeah. that's Maurice. Yeah, that's Maurice. <laughs> but so here's the other thing, though. I am. So, yes, I, I, I am Mr. Blackman, but I'm also every sub in that book. So every so those subs were how those were my first days of teaching. So Mr. Blackman's where I am now. Those subs were where I was at the beginning. Oh, subbing uh, is brutal. It is. You did a good job brutal. With that. And so like a lot of those stories. More true than not. I'll just put it to you right. that way. Do you want me to ask the next question? Because I have more. I have like tons. I've read the book five times. Oh man. <laughs> um, do we want to? Because I'm looking at the uh, clock. I think we got about 20 minutes or so. Do you want yeah. to do more questions on the usual suspects? Or oh, do you want to yeah, move I'm on good. to anything I'm else? Good. Something else. 
you know, okay. you know, you know how it is. With, how I am with you guys. You know, I'll say, I know. Right, let's let's get together for an uh, you know maybe an hour, and then yeah, we get Two to run away and then exactly. So you know, let's just let's go, let's go, let's not worry about it. Okay, all right. So I want to talk about the screen room. The screen room. Oh, this was really hard for me to read mm-hmm. because it brings me back to my childhood, actually, because mm-hmm. I was a lot like those kids. I was a lot like, I think, Polonius and a mixture of Marcel, because I was quiet, but I was also, I would get into trouble a lot. I mean, Nick and Marshall know my background. Like, oh, yeah. I go to juvie as a kid, and I stole cars, and it was it was adventurous. But, you know, no one thought I would ever do something like that, because right. Right. I was so innocent-seeming. But the screen room, I felt... Is that from something that you've experienced as a teacher? Uh, so it was it was something I saw. So I saw it employed a couple times. Uh, 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 well, no, I tell you, but I saw it employed a couple times when I was substituting in the special ed room, and that was a heartbreaking thing to watch. And I'm just like, wait, is this is this really how we're about ready to do this? Because uh, there seems to be a whole lot of a whole lot of things we could do between where the kids were and putting them in this room. There's a yeah, whole lot of early in my career too. It was the same thing. There was, I think they, they used to do similar things. They don't do anymore as far as I know, but right. there was always a room, yeah. you know, and I could not imagine being a kid in that room. Right. And then I know for a fact, they had my kid, they had my, uh, my youngest in one of those rooms once. Mm. And I, and I heard about it all after the fact. And then that's when I was like, yeah, and I'll be down at the school. Because yeah. no, that that's no way to treat no, um, and especially when it always seemed to be the black students who ended up in that room, uh, though yep. they were the ones deemed hard to handle and all this kind of other stuff, uh, which is interesting because like where I'm working at now, because I I've never taken a teaching class, I don't have a teaching degree, nothing, right? But uh, uh, when I was working, my, when I was again walking my son through the situation that uh, involved the police detectives. Um, and I walked him, I walked the conspirators, I walked the faculty, I walked my family. We all walked, you know, I walked everybody through the situation. And, uh, and then after, after all said and done, uh, the principal calls me into her office and I, and I know what's coming. I'm like, all right, go ahead and fire me. I get it. And, uh, you know, cause I was, sub, I was a sub at their school at the time too. And she goes, look, the way you walked everyone through the situation, the way you handled all the affected parties was a beautiful thing. And, and we can't teach that. And so uh, would you like to come on staff full time at our school? And I was just like, yeah, I'd love to. Wow. Um, yeah. And so I run, so I, I work in the resource room now and this is a different school. So this wasn't the school, but with the screen room or anything, but, um, but so I, you know, so they established this thing called the resource room. And so but I mean, in, in terms of function, in a lot of ways, the functionality was the same. If a kid is, you know, acting out or having a bad day, they come to see Mr. Broadus. Yep. Well, all I, and I, did, I didn't have the terms for it at the time. Now I know the terms. It's like, I, I'm really good at uh, de-escalation. So you could be having a, it don't matter what mood you are, you come sit with me for 10, 15 minutes. You're good. You're ready to go back to class. Yeah. Uh, I think the most punishing thing I do is make them listen to some Miles Davis <laughs> uh, so you know, as, as stringent punishments go, it's like no. And now we're going to re- listen to some jazz music, Mr. Broadus. Like, yeah, what you know what? You need, you need some miles in your life. 
Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, at 10, 15 minutes, you know, they're fine. They just needed someone to either listen to them, to care about them, to let them vent in a, in a, in a space. And, and that's all I let them do. I'm like, there's no magic that I'm doing. I'm just like, bro, go ahead, vent. I got you. You know, then we yeah. talk it through, they calm down, and then they're like, oh, man, now I see what I did. And yeah, I think I might even have to owe a teacher an apology. Okay, they, they ain't never actually come to that conclusion themselves. I kind of have to lead them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's like, so what are you going to say when you see that teacher again? Right, exactly. Uh, you, know? <laughs> um, you know what you did. Come on. Like, all right. Yeah, I would, I, maybe that was a little much. Like, yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> you know, so, but, uh, but that's all it is. It's just, uh, I try to create a safe space for them to come, de-escalate. Get, and a lot of times, whatever is going on with them has nothing to do with what's going on in the classroom. Right. So it's just like, hey, at, something at home or something. something yeah. yeah, it's always something like that. So it's just like, go ahead. What is it? Just talk to me and we'll talk. And then they're, they de-escalate, go back to class. Uh, no scream room involved. Uh, yeah. But I mean, watching the scream room in action, I'm just like, this is no... Actually, you know what? It, it, that's when that was when the whole prison analogy started to occur to me, because it, it was solitary confinement. It is, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, and it's like it's the equivalent of all right. We got a we got a prisoner. They're acting up. Toss him in the hole, and the screaming yeah. screaming was the, was the hole. And uh, and I'm just like, yeah, this is no, this is no way to go through life. I'm sorry. Yeah. What well, what has to be a better way? Right. There has to be a better way because otherwise, what are we conditioning these students to do and be? Right. Uh, yeah, I think the scene with Tuan when he was having and they put him in the scream room, I just felt it brought back a lot of when I was a kid. Actually. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking, like, I think what really I love about this book so much is that all of the characters are fully realized and you don't ever see the kids who are, quote unquote, the trouble kids being viewed as like whole people. Right. It's always quick to villainize them. And I feel like this book is so good for boys and girls who are automatically put in that category of being that bad seed. Because to me, I just talked to Nick and Marshall about this this week because I had a friend who's a teacher and it really bugged me. Um, I just don't think children are born wrong or born bad seeds. I feel like they're trying to process these complex emotions and they need someone to listen to. So I felt like a lot of the scenes that you have with the adults, the adults started to let the kids handle their own problems. They were there for advice. They were there to listen, but there was also this responsibility for them to figure it out on their own. So was that challenging to write? Uh, all right. Here's how I answer that question. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I've, I shadowed my sons uh, through, well, actually, you know, started in elementary school. Uh, and so it was uh, the last year my youngest son was in the elementary school. And I know, so he's about to leave that school and then go off to middle school. And so I'm, I'm planning on going to middle school. But this whole time I'm at their school, I'm volunteering in the in the special ed room. Because like I said, I love those kids. And, uh, and so on the last day of school, one of the kids in the special ed room comes up to me and is like, hey. Uh, are you going to go with us over to uh, over to the middle school? And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't know where my, you know, my son's going to go to this other school. So I'm going to go over to follow, follow, follow him at his school. Um, wh- why do you ask? He goes, because you get us and you like us. Yeah. And I'm like, and, and that told me everything I needed 
to know at the time, which was, you know, there, there was no, like I said, there's no magic that I have when I, when it comes to work with, with kids. It's just that I see them for who they are and I like them uh, as they are. And the kids know when someone likes them, they know when someone likes them. And the, the person who was in the classroom, they knew for well, she did not, she was killing time. She was killing time and saw them all as problems. And, uh, and my brother, my brother had a teacher like that when he was their age. And, uh, and, uh, and when he had, cause we went to different schools. And so when he encountered this teacher and she had a zero expectation, if you were a black male, she had zero expectation up for you. And, uh, and he encountered her. And then we noticed that his school, his school trajectory went straight into the toilet after, after that year and never recovered. And that was like fifth grade. He encountered her. He was never the same after that as a student. And so we were just like, well, you know, maybe he just doesn't like school. Okay. But then my uh, then my cousin comes up, encounters her. Exact same thing happens. And so now you're like, wait a second. Every black male in our family encounters you and then goes off the rails. Well, it turns out she had zero expectation for black male students. They were just thugs waiting to be arrested as far as she was concerned. And so she treated them like that in the classroom. Uh, and so you think, you know, oh, so it's like, you know, one bad teacher like that, you know, yeah. like I said, that was two people in my own family that she derailed. Like, I can't even imagine how many countless students she encountered that she just derailed just because she didn't get and didn't like those students. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. uh, so my focus has always been, I see, and, and I try to be this way in all my relationships. I see the person in front of me. The person in front of me is who I am dealing with. And I want to see them in as, in as total and full a way as possible, because that's the person I want to know. And that's the person I want to hang out with. And then that's, and then I just carry that over to my students because as I, as it turns out, so middle school students sort of like people. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I just crazy, right? Way. I know it's crazy. <laughs> so I do the same way and yeah. go figure. They, they tend to respond to that. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Like, um, with all the things going on in the world recently with black lives matter and stuff like that, I've, I've written some stuff and I've been talking to some former students and, and, and it's interesting to see the students that reach back and kind of say, and just, you know, a, a direct message here and there, like, you know, thank you for actually you know seeing us and thanks for listening to us and stuff like that it's it's a huge thing because yeah i've had i've had teachers who it's just like it's just not a it's just not where they're at and not anything they could actually do and and i hear my students complain about you know some of my colleagues now them are going to listen to this anyway but right, i mean right. some of my colleagues but it's just it's the same thing and it's like they come to me to complain about them and i'm just like guys i don't i don't know what i'm supposed to do but we're we're cool when you're here you right. know right yeah, and uh, that's that's what I try to do with my space. I'm just trying to create a safe space where you know you, know, you are free to be you here. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, also remember we're all, all we're all on the clock also. So let's uh, let's not get yeah. too nuts either. <laughs> then there's yeah. that. <laughs> Was there any of the characters that you wrote that you were like they're so fun to write that surprised you? <laughs> Man, I. Uh, Nehemiah is always going to be my fun character to write. I ain't gonna lie, he, he was he was a, he was fun to write. Uh, the mom's character was probably one of my second favorite characters to write. Uh, oh, that that confrontation in the front of the house was okay. Was awesome. Now, so here's so good. Here's <laughs> I'm debating because my wife actually hates this, but <laughs> like let's just say that well, was just tell us because <laughs> because. 
it was inspired. We'll just say it was inspired by a real event that happened in our front yard at some point. And, okay. Uh, and so I'm sitting there watching this whole scene play out, and like my wife, and I love my wife to death. But I mean, when she when she starts stomping around, going, "Here's my neck, here's my <laughs> neck," and like like we're all confused. Like none of us knows what's going on. We're, we all just want to look at each other. Like, here's my here's my neck. What's that? What's that even mean? And I'm like, when you and so they look to me and like, what's that mean? I'm like, I don't know, but I'm writing that down because <laughs> this is gold. This is. Gold. I laughed out loud when I read that line, and with the lady, it's like, what does that even mean? <laughs> that was so funny, man. <laughs> Uh, for the record, that's the only scene my wife has ever been the inspiration for, and the only thing about her I've ever written in any of my books ever, ever. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Wanted that on the record. I've met your wife. She's amazing. She is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I, yeah. I'm not even going to open up that. Be like, yeah, she is. <laughs> she is. And she is a character. And uh, we're two people who you would look at us and go, how, how, how and why are you two together? But then, <laughs> but then you hear us interact, and you're like, "Oh, oh yeah, we get it now." All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Nick, do you want to jump in? I feel like I'm like asking everything. <laughs> no, I, what I was going to say though, do you want to do you want to go off because you had something about Apex? If you want to go to that, or yeah, did you guys want to talk about something else? Yeah, I want to definitely talk about Apex because um, it is being launched, relaunched on 2021, and they're doing Kickstarter. I think still this month, right? Uh, it's going to be, uh, I think it's mid-July is when we're looking at uh, doing the Kickstarter. So can you talk about it? Like, you know, like your involvement and, you know, why? Um, I'm super excited it's being relaunched. But like, tell me, like, the process with it. Uh, the process of it is I wasn't paying nearly careful enough attention to my emails when I was responding yes to Jason. Uh, <laughs> and apparently in one of those emails, he was saying, I'm going to be the new uh, editor over there. and so now I guess I've committed to that. Look, look, me and Jason, me and Jason go way, way back, right? So uh, uh, in a lot of ways, we've we've literally, I feel like we've come up together. And so I mean, like he was, he published one of my early stories. He uh, ended up publishing a, a novella of mine. Uh, actually, it was after, uh, actually, it was after the first MoCon, as a matter of fact, because after the first MoCon. Uh, and he wasn't at the first MoCon, but I bumped into him at, at a, I met him at a convention that later on that year. And he was just like, let me get this straight. You have like three publishing credits through a convention named after yourself and people showed up and mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, <laughs> yeah, we're getting into business with you now. Uh, <laughs> and so, so we, and that was like, what, 2004, something like that, 2004, 2005, something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so we've just been a, a really big part of each other's lives and careers in a, in a whole lot of ways. So like my first story with them. So this would be like the third iteration of Apex. Um, the first iteration would have been the Digest, it was, uh, the, the, the Apex Digest uh, magazines. And, and I had a I remember. Yeah. And, I have uh, some copies. Yeah. Oh, man, it was, a, it was such a classic run. Yeah. Um, and so much good stuff came out. I mean, I'm looking back and I'm like, man, Apex published some amazing stuff and me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so uh so that was the first run and then uh and then he he, he retired apex and then uh he was he, he, and i think he was doing he was doing um a guest edit anthology he was the guest he was a, doing a, being an editor for an anthology and uh and he asked me to send him something so i was like hey look i just finished the story 
Um, you had asked about it, so here I'm, I'm, I'm going to send you the story. It's called uh, "Pip My Airship," and uh, and and he goes, "Yeah, I'm going to reject this," and I'm like, "Well, I won't say the language I used because you a you should never respond back to an editor, much less respond back to an editor with with choice words like I was using." But he was like, no, no, wait, I'm rejecting it for this project. I'm bringing back Apex Magazine. I need to publish this thing there. So I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, so that so that was a, in issue two of the of the the big run of Apex. The uh, <clears throat> what was it like 120 issues that, that mm-hmm. came yeah. out with Apex Magazine? Yeah, uh, which ended with me being the guest editor. Uh, the the there was a special Afro Futurism issue, and I was the the, the sole guest editor of that issue. Um, and and then I get the email. He's like, "Yeah, I'm shutting it down for a while." And I'm less like, "So let me get this straight. You're about to shut down the magazine with the issue that I edited, so that you can run around saying that Maurice killed the magazine, ain't you?" And he's like, "Yeah, that sounds great." And so uh, <laughs> so you know, lived through that for a bit, and then uh. But I mean, I, I knew I knew he would not be able to stay away from the magazine for too long because it's it's like a zombie; it just keeps coming back. Um, <laughs> and so uh, he sent me the email, like, "Look, hey, I'm uh, I'm thinking about bringing the magazine back, but uh, I want you at my side this time fully to to do it." And I'm like, "Sure, it's not like I'm busy or anything, so you know, why not?" Just one more thing, right? Just right, one exactly. more thing, Maurice. <laughs> So, uh, so I was like, yeah, sure. You know, I, I, I do have a soft spot for Apex magazine. I do love this magazine. I love what it adds to the genre. I love the, I love the new voices that, uh, that it, that it brings and, and emphasizes. And, uh, uh, man, he's going to hear this and hear me say all these nice things about him in the magazine. So, I mean, Marshall, edit, edit, edit some of this out. Uh, I'll, I'll add some, or you can just talk a little smack and then we can, they'll, they'll right, even it out. Exactly right. Exactly. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, so I'm really looking forward to uh, the magazine coming back. So the Kickstarter is going to be next month, and uh, and and now I'm just full blown uh, editor over there, and so uh, or assistant editor. I can't remember what the official title is, but he's like nothing really changes because you're basically going to do the job you were doing the whole time anyway. You just we just didn't give you any credit. Now we're just actually giving you credit. So I'm like, oh okay. Um, <laughs> So, uh, so the, uh, I believe the first issue we're looking to do the first issue, you know, like in twenty twenty one. I believe it's going to be bi monthly, so six issues, and yet with the same amount of original content. So it's basically six double sized issues, um, wow. as opposed to you know twelve uh, of the monthly issues. So I mean, you're going to get the same amount of content, um, just uh, six times a year instead of twelve. So that's that awesome. Off. <laughs> Since you're editing it, like what? What's what kind of stories grab you? Um, now, so Jason, Jason, look here. I'm I'm send, I'm funding all of that to Jason because uh, gotcha. I, I have found that I have no idea what I'm looking at. And every time I answer this question, like weird things happen <laughs> to the flush pile. So uh, <laughs> I think the last time I edited, I, I, I talked about how because uh, uh, so like for example, uh, uh, I did Dark Faith. I was I, was, uh, I co-edited Dark Dark Faith for Apex, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, and so I'm I'm made the observation because if uh, in the in the slush pile, I mean in the final pool of stories, it became apparent I really love talking animal stories. Like if someone, <laughs> if someone sent in a talking animal story, it seemed to automatically make it to final to the, to the final pool, and I'm and, 
And if you read Dark Faith, I think there are at least two talking animal stories in the in Dark Faith itself. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, man, do I have a thing for talking animals? Uh, <laughs> and then I and then I made that comment, and now anytime I edit anywhere, I always get a rash of like talking animal stories, and uh, and they still make it to the final pool. So I guess there is something to it, but. <laughs> Uh, we, all, we all wrote that down, Maurice. Yeah, we, I know. we know like, now. Uh, like horrible things about to happen to the slush pile, but um, <laughs> that's hilarious. But you know, we basically like. Uh, I know, like Jason's taste skews uh, dark sci-fi. Um, my tastes tend to skew like really personal. So, like the more personal story you tell, the more I'm probably in it. But then you know, but ultimately, we're just looking for the best, the best stories that are out there, and and and, and I and. I can't speak to, well, I can't speak for Jason. Uh, we don't want to ever limit that. It's like, you know, I don't want to tell you what we're looking for. I don't want to limit what, what it is. Because we might not know what we're looking for until we encounter it. Yeah. So it's like, yes, yeah, send whatever, you know, we're good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. That's actually really similar to what you had for Fireside um, when you were the guest editor over there. Yeah. Now, all right. So now. I had asked you about that. I was like, "What's what are you right. looking for?" You're like, "Whatever and, I and, like when I read it." But see, and but I also learned something about that too. Uh, I mm-hmm. learned that editors are. <laughs> this may shock you. Turns out, editors are like people also, and are very human. And so, uh, and and here's what I mean by that because that was my thing for Fireside. I'm like, send whatever. I'm I'm open to whatever. I mean, yes, I want. Uh, I, I I do tend to look for you know. What's new in society? What's the future? You know, I love that kind of stuff. I love talking animals. Uh, you know, I love. You know, I, I do love these things, but I don't. I, I have no particular theme. Oh yeah, I love Afrofuturism, um, but I'm not sticking to any particular theme. I want to just see what pu- bubbles up out of the out of the slush pile, right? And then, uh, and and uh, uh, Fireside, like with Apex, very diverse uh, slush pile. Uh, you know, international audience. I'm getting stories in from around the world. I'm loving it. And so, but, so here's the thing though, like my father passed away in, uh, in November and, uh, and the slush pile opened up in October. Right. Um, so I made my selections of stories, you know, I, I had my final, my final pool of stories done in, in, in December. And like I do with most of my work, you know, I'll set it to the side and like, uh, let it sit for a month. That way I can come back, uh, come back to it with fresh eyes and then, uh, and then see what I have. Right. So when I come back to the the my final pool of stories in the in January, I'm like going through the sl- the final list. I'm like, wow. Uh, apparently, I was in a mood because the whole theme seems to be revolving around dealing with grief and loss and uh, all these sort of emotional journey type stories. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. crap. Are you kidding me? It's not something I, I <laughs> have to do. But I'm just like this. The, the table of contents now is like this journey of what it looks like to move through grief, you know, to, to what it means to accept grief. Like there's like literally a story called uh, something like in the phone booth where I get to talk to my dead dad. OK, admittedly, that oh. title is a little on the nose. <laughs> um, but uh, but I mean, it's, it's, you just see this progression of. Hey, you know, of grief and loss and, and what it means to, you know, after you've suffered grief or loss, what it looked like to get your footing back under you in life. And then what does it look like to get to that point where you're able to dream again? I mean, that's literally how the issue now uh, looks like uh, unfolded. And, I, uh, and I'm like, like, I would have never set out to go, hey, everybody send me your grief stories. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but on a subconscious level, I didn't realize that was the, the 
That's what was going on with me. And that got reflected in the table of contents. And yet it's still, you could still see this line of move it, what it means to move through grief, to get back to being, being able to dream again, which was literally the process I was going through. So you you never know what, you never know what to send because you never know what is going on in the editor's life. For example, that's going to shape what you're in the mood for. Right. Looking forward, you have, uh, you signed, what was it? A three book deal? Was it with tour? Yeah, I kind of did that. Mm-hmm. So Ooh, tell, us, you, tell us the story. Yeah, will you give us the pitch <laughs> for it? Can you can you brag about yourself for a little bit here? Yeah, all right, Nick. We just, we just, just want to hear about you for just a little bit, Maurice, right, and what you're going to do know, going forward. Man. Work, work, work. <laughs> Let me. Uh, <laughs> you're a busy guy, man. <laughs> you're a busy guy. So yeah, so I was uh, actually the 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 whole actual story was I was in New York working on a, a project for uh, and. Uh, I was actually working on a couple of different projects. I wasn't telling anyone about it. I didn't even tell anyone when I was even going to New York. Um, but I did take a picture of myself in front of the Apollo Theater because, you know, I'm black and in front of the Apollo Theater. So yeah. <laughs> that, that picture is going to happen. Um, and then uh, and then Diana Foe reached out to me. and was like, hey, are you in New York right now? And I'm like, yeah. And she goes, hey, let's get together and talk. So I'm like, OK, sure. Um, and so uh, so we get together. And we're chatting and she's asking me, you know, you know, what I'm working on and, uh, you know, that sort of thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm at the time I'm wrapping up, uh, pimp my airship because I, for reasons, there's a whole story why I was working on pimp my airship there. Cause that wasn't intended to be published. I'll, I'll put it to you that way, but suddenly I'm on track <laughs> to, to do edits on pimp my airship. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm working on that. And then, uh, and then I, I start talking about this, uh, you know, I just written this story about, uh, my actual pitch was like hood chicks with guns in space, but which is not actually the pitch, but uh, it was my joke pitch. But I was just like, look, you know, I have these, uh, you know, female space Marines, they're black uh, and they are just having a series of adventures in space. And, uh, and Diana's like, that sounds interesting. You know, get me, get me an outline like that. And uh, maybe we can talk. And I'm like, Oh, okay. And so, uh, so then I'm, you know, I'm feeling my Wheaties at this point. I'm just like, look at here. <laughs> uh, so I call up my agent. I'm just like, look here. Editor at tour was just like, Hey, get me an outline. Maybe we could do something. And she's like, well, what was the idea? So I told her the idea and she's like, well, of course she said that. That's a great idea. <laughs> so what I want you to do is I want you to write up three chapters of what that's going to look like. And then the outline for the, what the book would look like and then give it to me. And I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll do that. And so, uh, so I start doing what uh, you know. I start doing my my thing. I start doing the world building, uh, you know, because I already have these characters. I'd already written a short story with these characters. I knew I knew them already. But I'm like, oh, what's the kind of world that they would come from? Let me let me build that world. So I I take a while. I take a long while. I take about six months or so to build out this world that they come from. Okay. Um, and then in my head, I heard the criticism that I got. When Pit My Airship, the short story came out, which was, hey, we love this story. We love this uh, this world. But it seems like there is this fully developed world that we only got to see a glimpse of uh, in the short story. Mm-hmm. So having heard that criticism already, I was like, all right, in this novel, let me expand out. So uh, let me come up with a storyline so people will actually get to spend time in this world that I'm launching the, these uh, ladies out of. And so, um, so I end up with this 
three storyline kind of book where you know one's in the in the, the the galactic empire one's on the starship and the one is just following these uh, they aren't even really space marines but they are the soldiers of, of this uh, of this empire and so i send that in and then like i said then the, that word miraculous comes into play at this point <laughs> mm-hmm. um because you know n- the only thing that exists of this book are these three chapters and the outline and the next thing i know it goes to auction and like people this are is- sitting on it and i'm losing my mind because i'm just like what the <laughs> heck is going on right now and uh, <laughs> and then and then diana does end up with the book over at tour uh and so i'm just like uh, in fact, it was great because it, the, the, it actually came down to two, the two editors I really wanted to work with most in the industry. So it's like, oh, this is it's actually not turning oh, out too bad. So that's uh, awesome. Uh, so if that's the bidding war, I'm like, yeah, I'm good. And so yeah, so then Diana ends up with it, and it's like, a, and then it's like, yep, three book deal. Um, of uh, and, and the official pitch was uh, Black Panther. What happened? Black Panther meets Game of Thrones in space. Um, and they've since shortened it to Black Panther meets The Expanse, and so yeah. well, all right, okay, I, I would yeah. buy that book too. So yeah. I, I hope they get someone competent to write it because I, I look forward to reading. it. <laughs> and the name wasn't it? Um, the name of the book isn't it a Kendrick Lamar? Uh, didn't he, was it a Kendrick Lamar song? Yeah. Like, so the, the whole trilogy is uh, is all the stars uh, the, off the Kendrick Lamar song. But mm-hmm. each of the individual books are named after. So uh, Langston Hughes wrote a poem called Stars. Yeah. And, uh, and so each of the titles of the individual books is taken from a, a piece of that poem. So book one is a sweep of stars. And then uh, and I'm currently outlining book two, a little breath of oblivion. So it's awesome. Love it. Congrats, when, man. That's yeah. that's super. That's amazing. Thanks. When does it come out? It comes out should be by this time next year. We should be uh, looking at it. Hopefully, that's amazing. Awesome. If I nail the as far as timeline goes on that, Marshall, when we interviewed Maurice the first time, mm-hmm. February of last year, someone was celebrating this book deal. Right, yeah. celebrating the book deal, but couldn't tell us anything about and it. We weren't allowed to hear about it for <laughs> right. months, and like we knew you had done something. So that I mean, kind of perspective though, two and a half years. After your deal kind of came through, you mm-hmm. you know you should have a book out. That's yeah. pretty crazy. Yeah, a book which I then spent the rest of that you know after I and then I don't get me wrong, I celebrated for a while. <laughs> I mean, I celebrated for a while, and then I then I was like, oh wait, they act, this was so this was new to me. I'm used to celebrating for a while because the hard work's done. Because normally, if I sign a book deal, that means the book is you know done. The book's mm-hmm. done, right? <laughs> right. And then after I was done celebrating, I was like, oh, this book isn't written. Crap, I should have to write this book. Uh, so, uh, so yes, I, I, I definitely crawled into a hole and uh, to try and get that book done. And it's just like, whoo, this, and it, it, it's, it's not a short book. Uh, I think I've turned in draft. I've actually only turned in my second draft of it, to be honest with you. So I'm waiting, wow. to, get, I'm waiting to get the feedback from it. I didn't want to go too deep. Well, I didn't want to. Well, it was it was tough getting it there, and so I'm just like, well, let me have you get your input now, editors, before I come back and do my next round of revisions, so I know story wise where to go with things and uh, and what to emphasize. But yeah, I'm looking forward to getting those rounds of revisions done, and uh, and then as I'm plotting out book two, which I hope to have book two. I'm I'm about to tell the big lie and say this book two should be done by the end of this year, also. 
But uh, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> so it's already done. Well, so it's, <laughs> for those of us not benefiting from the video feed, there's a lot of winking going on. Right, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Maurice, uh, we're stoked for you, man. We cannot wait for that book, and we love hey, your work. Um, and uh, you think that's a good place to wrap up, guys? Well, uh, I also have. So right now, I am. I am working on that book, and then I'm also working on my follow-up middle grade book because that's uh, that will also come out next year. Also, is it the follow-up to the Usual Suspects or a completely new one? Completely new one. Uh, oh, that's awesome! Yeah, it's called Unfatable, and uh, and it was uh, it's kind of in, oh man, it's kind of inspired by one of my middle school students. So she's really feeling her Wheaties also because she's like, "Mister Broadus, I'm an inspiration," and I'm like, "Oh Lord <laughs> Jesus!" All right, all right. <laughs> Um, did you teach her that? Yeah. Yeah. She's, yeah. She, you can, de- you can, you can definitely tell the students who were like, oh, yeah, that's, that's one of his. Yeah. Okay. That's hilarious. That's great. Um, and so, uh, but it, it follows, um, a, a, a young lady from the neighborhood and, uh, and so it's set in the neighborhood and, uh, and she uncovers different, uh, different sort of shenanigans we'll say, uh, perpetrated by adults in the neighborhood when it comes to the business of neighborhood work. And so she literally becomes, she's, so she's part neighborhood detective, part so, uh, community organizer as a middle school student. So oh, um, awesome. looking forward to uh, seeing how, how that book co- comes out and gets received also. But uh, it's, it's coming along pretty well. I, I will say everybody seems to be pretty pleased with, uh, uh, with, with how it's coming along. Uh, I guess just one more question to keep us yeah. on hand. Mm-hmm. Um, what keeps you writing? What keeps me writing? Yeah. Um, so what I what I tend to say is I write for me. I mean, I publish to be read, but I write for me. And so, uh, oh, I'll give you a perfect example of this. Pimp My Airship, the novel, right? Um, so uh, after hearing all that criticism about Pimp My Airship, the, sh- the short story, I was like, you know what? Maybe I ought to turn this into a novel. Uh, since everybody's talking about how it should have been a novel, blah, 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 blah. I've never done this before. So let me try and turn one of my short stories into a novel. And so uh, so I wrote Pimp My Airship, the novel, and then put it in my drawer. Because I, I wrote it and I'm like, yeah, I write for me. Mm-hmm. A, and so I put it away. I was like, okay, mission accomplished. I'm done. Uh, so I put the novel away. Now, here's how you guys screwed up my life. <laughs> And yeah, that's right. I'm blaming you all. <laughs> I'm happy to be blamed for this, I think. I don't yeah. know. So, uh, I, so, I, so I'm I'm now the guest host on uh, on writing excuses, right? Okay. <laughs> uh, and and so so we're having all these conversations about writing and stuff and some someone asked me about the hero's journey. And so I talk about the hero's journey of my character in Pin My Airship. I'm like, man, he's one of my favorite characters I've ever written. His hero's journey is this brother just wants to get high. And so I have a series of escalating events that keep him from getting high. And so I'm, I'm like talking about this book and everything because this book is done. It's just in my drawer. But to me, it's a completed <laughs> thing because I did it. Yeah. And so uh, so I'm talking about it and talking about it. And I'm like, OK, so, you know, comes and goes. I don't think twice about it. Then those episodes air. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, my inbox is filled with requests of where can we find this book? <laughs> and I'm like, I can't just say in my drawer. Right. 
I wonder if there's actually a book here worth uh, worth pursuing. And so I, so like I said, Jason Sizemore is a, is a friend of mine, and he's a big. Cha- he was a, always a big fan of Pimp My Airship. I'm like, look, Jason, here's my dilemma. I need you as my friend to take a look at a couple, couple, you know, a couple chapters of this. See if I have anything worth publishing, and then that way I'll, I'll, I'll you know, do some revisions and you know, see about trying to get it published. He's like, all right, yeah, I'll take a look at it. So I send it to Jason. He writes back and he's like, yeah, you do have something here. I'll take it. And I'm like. Yeah, I wasn't submitting it. <laughs> I just needed to know if there's something here worth me pursuing. He goes, yes, there is, and I'll take it. <laughs> and I'm like, you can't just call dibs on a book. And he's like, really? Because I did. There, I just announced it. It's coming out in May. So how you like me now? And I'm just like, oh, what? Really? I, don't, I don't know if we can do this. That's so uh, funny. But, uh, but the fact of the matter is, you know, I, I did the, uh, you know, I'm not stupid. So, I mean, I, I sent it him for a reason. And, right. uh, and the fact of the matter is, is like, it, that brings Pit My Airship full circle. It goes back to where it started. Mm-hmm. Um, but it all comes out of the fact that I write for me. Um, it wasn't something I intended to be published. There are a half dozen novels in my drawer right now, uh, including one of my favorite novels I've ever written in my drawer because I wrote it for me. Um, mm-hmm. And that's why I keep writing. I, you know, I'm still, you know, sometimes I'm angry. I, I just uh, wrote a, a short story. That's my first horror short story in probably, probably uh, nearly, a, I'm going to say nearly a decade, to be honest. Um, it was my first uh, first horror short story because, hey, the times we live in and I'm angry. Yeah. And so uh, when I'm angry, yeah. I'm back to horror. I don't know where I'll send it. I don't know if I'll send it out. Uh, but I had to write it to get stuff. I had to write it to get it out of me. Um, when my father passed, for example, you know, I, I still had, I still had a middle grade novel to write. I still had this side that, that sweep of stars was due that December. Oh man! But I'm just like, I can't write the book because I still have all this stuff. I got to process from my dad, you know, getting sick and then dying. So I'm just like, so I know it drove everyone in my circle nuts from my editor to my agent to my wife, but I'm less like, hey, I got to write something to process my grief. Uh, and so I, I said, hey, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some time out and write this short story. Um, so I wrote a short story. Turns out my 5,000 word short story ended up as a 20,000 word novella. Because um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> apparently I had more to process than I thought. But I had to get that out of me. If it's like if I'm going to come back to any of these other projects, I have to deal with my grief, um, or else I'm not going to be good to anybody. Um, and that and then that story sold because that it sold to a Benicia the Sky. So if you, you go over to their their site, Bound by Sorrow, what was uh, was what came out of that. Um, wow. And I, I didn't think he was going to buy the story, to be honest, because I'm like it's a it's a it's a different sort of story. But he was just like look, this, this story felt special. So I want it. So I'm like, all right, great. Even here recently with, uh, with, uh, the uprisings going on, I mean, that, that had locked me up. I couldn't, I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't come up with anything because I'm just like, I'm so, I'm feeling a lot of stuff right now. Uh, and so I ended up writing a piece, um, that got published in Indianapolis monthly that got, that gave me this room and space to process, uh, all my feet, all my anger about, you know, leading up to why the uprisings were necessary. 
But because I got to process that, I'm like, oh, now I got that out of my system so that now I'm in a, a healthier mental space. Now I can be back to writing. And I'll be honest with you, Maurice, I, that, after I read that piece in Indianapolis Monthly, I, I wrote something myself and, and it helped a lot. Thank and you. actually, I got my first published deal on NBC.com just to processing that stuff. Yes. And it's 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 huge, man. So that's I, I thank you for that, because yeah. I, I, I when you tweeted that out, I was like, oh, that's that's how I feel this, you yeah. know. Thank you. I appreciate that. Appreciate that. So, uh, so yeah, so that's, that's what keeps me writing. Uh, I, I feel, and I have to process my feelings and, uh, and I do that all through writing. So that's awesome. Well, Maurice, I can't, I cannot thank you enough for coming on, man. Uh, spending time with us again at some point, I'd love to sit on the uh, deck of a boat again and, and, and have a cocktail with you, but you know, we'll see what the future holds, right? See what it holds. I look forward to those days though. I'll tell you that. No, for sure. Yeah, thanks for coming. This was great. I could probably have twenty more questions. I could. <laughs> hey, you yeah. know what? I'm not. I'm not scared. You can bring me back again. Obviously, I. Oh, I, will. I'm hanging out with you guys. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. You're coming back. Yeah. All right. Oh, yeah. Well, right. Rocon next year. We'll do an in-person yeah. interview. That's from all your, I'm saying. From your lips to God's ears, we need it. We need Mocon back. Just saying. It was going to be my first year going, and I couldn't go. I was so bummed. <laughs> And we'll get we there. Can, we'll get there. You know, what we could do is have a special edition of Maurice's coffee shop and just leave a mic and recorder out there all day. <laughs> Man. Man. And then Marshall has to edit it. Right. Yeah, that's, why, that's why we're ending that's that. Right? This, the, the, the actual podcast is ending now. If you <laughs> want to keep chatting, that's great. But someone yeah. has to edit this madness. At some point, right? Fine. <laughs> Be the grown up, Marshall. I know. I'm, I'm always the bad guy, right? <laughs> Pretty much. This has been Just Keep Writing, a podcast for writers, by writers, to keep you writing. Check out our website at justkeepwriting.org. You can find links to our social media and Discord channel in the show notes, as well as any other links mentioned during the show. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is patreon.com slash justkeepwriting. Thanks for listening. Now just keep writing.